Why do you want to catch them all? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about games as they'd like to know. This week we're getting topical as we discuss the history and appeal of one of gaming's biggest franchises, Pokemon. Welcome back to The Snakes Cast. Maddie McLean is back. Good to see you, Maddie. Hashtag Team Mystic. <laughs> and this week, we're recording from 72 stories above the streets of Toronto in the lair and sanctum of longtime friend of the show, game designer Eric M. Lang. Thanks for having us over, Eric. Hey, how's it going? Really good. I'm really happy to be here. So, um, Pokemon, or Pocket Monsters, exploded into the popular consciousness way back in 1996, 20 years ago. Uh, the Pokemon trading card game catapulted game publisher Wizards of the Coast to a level of business success no one in the hobby game industry had ever seen before, leading to their buyout by Hasbro in 1999, and the effects of that deal are still being felt in the industry today. Of course, around that same time, we also saw the publication of the first Pokemon video games, and the television series and all this other stuff became this multimedia juggernaut. Maddie, how old were you when you first became aware of Pokemon as a thing? I, I was like prime Pokemon age. Awesome. Like, this is something I've grown up with. I remember back in the day, it was a... Like, I would watch the anime every day, I would go, and me and my friends would play the Game Boy outside of my junior high school on the post, but there was like 10 of us all playing every weekend. This is something with special meaning for you, not just for the thing itself, but for the memories that it created with yes, your friends. which I'll be talking about later, don't you worry. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, Eric, you and I actually were uh, starting to try and get started in the game industry around the time when Pokemon blew up. Yeah, we were pretty much get off my lawn when, that, uh, <laughs> when Pokemon hit. But, uh, I mean, I was... Yeah, I watched it. I, I was an observer, not a uh, not not somebody who played it. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge respect for the game, and but I did actually I actually forged a lot of relationships with uh, with young people that had played the game at uh, in the game store that I was working at at the mm-hmm. time. I used to run Pokemon tournaments and organize Pokemon events, uh, and I'm several of those people are professionals that I'm working side by side with now in the industry. Amazing. So a lot of people have really gotten their start from this. this it, it was huge. It was a huge gateway for, uh, for for a lot of people at that time, not only as players, but as professionals as well. Uh, was that mostly because of the card game, do you think, or the TV show or the video games? What what was the biggest thing? I think it would primarily just come just down to Nintendo knew they had a juggernaut of a franchise with the game, and then they saw the marketability of, I think, at least one particular <laughs> electric mouse that's kind of blown up, but... <laughs> It, it was definitely something I think they realized early on they had a cash cow and just kind of decided to throw it out there as much as we can, as much as they could. The idea of media convergence was kind of new at that point, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, it was the, uh, I mean, nowadays they call it vertical marketing, but right. that was, it, it was, it, until Pokemon hit, I think that was, uh, it wasn't even a term. Uh, I'm pretty sure the video game came first, then the TV show, then the card game. Wikipedia says that they all came in '96 uh, at first. I uh, think that's mostly Japan. I'm pretty sure it wasn't released in America until '98. Once mm-hmm. they realized they had like a massive franchise behind them, so neat. So, um, did people? This is something I, that I that I kind of noticed back in the day. I have no idea how true it actually was. Most of the people who I came across who uh, collected the cards didn't actually play the Pokemon card game. They just liked collecting them. Was, was that true of most of your friends? I think so. Like, I'll be honest, I think I had a couple cards now and then, but I don't Mostly think I Mostly about the video played. games and the stories and stuff. Yeah, I was always a, a more of a video gamer growing mm. up, so like, 
What do you think, Eric? Is it? Uh, oh, I was you, totally... you, you ran tournaments, so of course you got to, you were ground zero of people who were really playing. Right, I was in a bubble, so um, most of the people that I knew that were either in my social circle or uh, in my ken were actually playing the game. But even of those people, most of them weren't playing it correctly. <laughs> it was uh, lots of lots of kids standing up on tables, getting really excited and playing sudden death. <laughs> <laughs> sudden death. It just uh, play. So the. Uh, you, you play Pokemon until I believe it's five enemy Pokemon are killed. They just play until the first one's killed. Oh, okay. Um, well, or some variant of that. As long as they're having fun, though. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Technically, it's fainted. Pokemon don't actually die. Uh, that's, that's right. That's, <laughs> I, I, did, did the kids call it that, though? No. No, <laughs> no you is dead, is what they said. <laughs> and uh, was it, do you think it was a good game? I think it's a phenomenal game. The card game? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think I've been on record several times saying it's an it's a absolutely phenomenal design. And it's still being published today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's still big. It's still huge. Wow. I know there are people who say that it's a failing business, but it still does over $30 million a year worldwide. So I, I, I'd I like would to give, fail that way. I'd like <laughs> to give my left arm for that failing business. Wow. Okay, let's take a closer look at the overall Pokemon brand and what it means. So in four words or less, do you think you could describe the core appeal of the whole Pokemon franchise, what it's about, why people get into it. Four are you try- words or less. Are you less. trying to get us to say "Gotta Catch 'Em All"? I think I might possibly have been trying to get you to say that, but yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the center of it, right? It's about collecting and completionism. Is that is, is that really the appeal, or is there something deeper, something else? Uh, baby's I'm... first capitalism, I think that's all <laughs> it's going for. But do you like buy low and sell high, or something, <laughs> or do you have to find a Pokemon when it's young and raise it to be strong? And uh, is is that more the appeal? Well, it is. I mean, it is a. a... It is essentially a capitalist, like a micro-capitalist economy, except where the the things that you're trading, the commodities you're trading, are cute and iconic, and you form, uh, you form personal attachments to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that they're iconic is the is the thing that absolutely matters, right? Everybody, people who don't even know Pokemon, know at least five different Pokemon. Yeah, that's I'm sure true. you can name them, right? I probably could. I never really got into the whole Pokemon. It's, it's one of the uh, those franchises that I just never wound up developing an attachment to. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I could probably name maybe a dozen of them, mm-hmm. even despite knowing effectively nothing. So did you form a particular attachment with specific Pokemon? Was it, was it mostly about the, your close attachment with a few of them, or was it about trying to collect as many of them as possible? Uh, I think when it, for me it was more, you know, I think... The fact that you can rename the Pokemon, mm. even from a young age, added a level of personalization and attachment to them. So you're just like, oh, this isn't just my Charmander. This is Farkface. And then, like, of course, <laughs> you know, I was, I was the age where that's happened. And, but, like, you grow attached to them, and then you see them grow, and you see them evolve. And that way, when you create your lineups and you specialize in... So it's, it's like encouraging strategic thought, but also creating... Like attachment also being like, oh, I can go and get this one that's better, but then which one do I replace on my team? And so it's... It has layers of depth to it, even though the gameplay isn't excessively deep. Mm-hmm. It's always had that rock, paper, scissors mechanic where one type will always beat another type, which will always beat another type. But Very, very sturdy foundation for any game. But yeah. the, the fact that it is a game, though, is specifically what makes it sticky. Because remember that Pokemon weren't the first cute, fuzzy anime animals that people got. There was Tamagotchi. Sure. Winnie which, Babies. Which was huge and a fad, and then it died out. But uh, what made Pokemon sticky was that there is an activity, a codified activity. Some may call it a game. <laughs> that wraps around it, and uh, both it had a both healthy game and a healthy meta game. Mm-hmm. Meta game? Yeah, I mean, uh, as, as, as not everybody in our audience knows what the term meta game is. So perhaps uh, the, the great and wise game designer. Oh my god! Us. 
<laughs> so the, I mean, the metagame is uh, is the game that uh, is the activities that surround the game itself. Uh, so that that anything that is not actually playing the game, discussing the game, trading pieces of the game, getting on forums and talking about it, getting in communities and talking about it, being engaged with the game except for playing. And we've talked about Magic the Gathering before, and uh, Magic has said that the metagame is a huge part of it, where you're deciding which of your cards you're going to use to assemble to create your deck, how you're going to build your strategy before you even sit down to play. And Pokemon seems like it goes even farther than that because of the relationships that the players have with these characters and how those are just as much a part of it as the, as the collection of the accumulation of as many of them as possible. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's a, there's a primal play pattern that all kids have when they have toys. If you buy toys for any kid out there, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to make them fight. They're going to go like, <laughs> who can beat who? And the fact that Pokemon makes rules for it accesses that, that, that primal play pattern that all kids understand and we've given you rules for it. And they're really cute and you know all their names. Go. That, it's absolute recipe for success. So uh, how do the various different games, the video games, the card games, how do they deliver on the central appeal? Matt, you're mentioning about how, uh, how Pokemon evolve and mm-hmm. how you sort of get attached to them and you can rename them. Um, is this something that, uh, that, that, that applies across a lot of the games in the Pokemon franchise? Well, I think the funny thing about the Pokemon games is that it remains fundamentally unchanged for 20 years now. Which it's is still astounding, this, and considering how much... Uh, the, the games, video games especially, changed in 20 years. That's amazing. Like, even graphically, now it's in 3D, but it's the same gameplay as before, where you're going out, there's specific places you can go and catch Pokemon, there's specific places you can go and fight other trainers. You're always leveling up, getting stronger, collecting your team, putting it together, and then, it's true, they've added stuff along the way, like online trading, and essentially all these other bells and whistles to it, but it's still fundamentally the same game, just polished and polished and polished for literally 20 years. And that's why it's endured, I guess. It's got yeah. this really fundamental basic play pattern to it mm-hmm. that anybody can understand mm-hmm. and anybody can become uh, you know really involved in and, and immersed in. Mm-hmm. The I remember uh, there was one called Pokemon Snap where you're trying to take pictures of Pokemon which sort of focused more on the collecting and less on the gathering sort of thing but still it's uh, it, it had that. And you could go print off the pictures of Blockbuster which is something <laughs> I remember being very fond of. <laughs> wow, that's, that's another sort of cross-media sort of thing, another sort of pioneering thing. Uh, were there any decent Pokemon board games at all? There was a Pokemon quote-unquote miniature game um, that was released by the Pokemon Company. I remember that Remember one. that? Yeah, it was basically a sport mm-hmm. uh, on a little abstract board, and it didn't do very well because the game was... It actually departed quite a bit from the rest of the Pokemon franchise, but it didn't play at all like the like other Pokemon games did. You actually played a sport that had a new set of rules. Oh, I see. So um, it wasn't like, like a, a, a Pokemon battle type thing. Instead, they were like playing soccer or something. Right, right. Like some new thing invented by their team. Um, the toys were like these really cool uh, full-color PVC toys that were awesome, but um, the, yeah, the game didn't resonate. Right, just like the Beanie Babies thing. It's uh, collecting them isn't enough. You have to be involved with them or it's right. not Pokemon. Right, and it departed from that classic uh, play pattern that you guys were talking about. Okay, so now let's actually get to uh, what everyone, I imagine, is really hoping for us to talk about, and that is Pokemon Go, the phenomenon that has put Nintendo right back on the top of the electronic entertainment heap mm-hmm. and is just all the rage at this point. Maddie, you've gotten into Pokemon Go. Yes, yes, it is. Well, I'll... Pokemon Co. something I totally wrote off initially. It's something I, I looked at. and uh, Honestly, for the past 10, 15 years, Pokemon hasn't been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. It's not something I was uh, engaged with or actively involved in. 
And then recently, like, I got back into Pokemon X and Y, which was okay, but it still didn't cook me. Uh, Pokemon Go was something I saw as a fad and just initially wrote off because I'm just like, there's no way they can make this engaging. And then within a week of it being out, I totally ate my words. I was just like, okay, this game's amazing. <laughs> I went down to Philadelphia and downloaded it there while it was still not available in Canada. So I was just like, I have to, I have to play. I have to, I have to know what's going on. And as soon as I did, it's the game itself is very. Yeah, for the for, for the benefit they, of our uh, listeners who may have have heard of this crazy thing that's going on that have no idea of what the game is like. Can you just very quickly go over how do you play Pokemon Go? Well, Pokemon Go has essentially gamified walking, where essentially <laughs> you have to go around your... You literally have to walk around your city blocks. And you play it on your you, phone, right? You play it on your phone, and essentially every now and then you'll get a buzz, and there will be a Pokemon in your area that you have to catch using your Pokeball that you flick up, and hopefully you catch it. And It's, as a game, is very simple... And some would argue not very good, because literally all you're doing is walking around and flicking a phone screen in hopes that you'll catch an imaginary thing that doesn't exist. But at the same time, it's also become such a social phenomenon that this game has totally taken on a life of its own beyond what's actually happening inside of the game. So it's How does the uh, social aspect get incorporated into the game? Why, why are people so involved with other players in this? It sounds like a very solitary activity on the surface. You, you, know, you get a buzz from your phone, there's a thing over there, you've got to go and flick a thing at it so you can catch it. And mm -hmm. Why do people not do this by themselves? What is it about the game that causes people to be involved with each other? Jim. Like uh, yes, I was going to say that's one of the, the two factors I think that do it. And the other one being that there's a semi-element where we're all hunting them together. There's okay. the idea that people can plug in lures. Which you mentioned you're part of a team. Yes. Uh, when you hit level 5 in the game, you're automatically forced to join one of three teams. Instinct, Valor, or Mystic. Mystic being the best choice, obviously. <laughs> but it's, it's a completely it's just, it's super... Is just red, blue, and yellow, or is there an actual difference between it's like them? It's like red, blue, and yellow. Cool, cool. <laughs> little modifications where like blue is better at evolving Pokemon, or red's better at fighting, yellow's better at hatching eggs. So hmm. it's, it's very, very small things that overall don't ultimately lead to much but as a whole it's actually it does it goes a long way to encouraging people to like meet up with other people of your of your group and talk about it and it's also it's also just been a case of i've gone out many times and someone will come up to me and be like there's a vaporeon around here and i'll be like what where and so we'll like <laughs> actually go on a little hunt with strangers and it's it's something that you don't get to experience very often when you're playing something and everyone else is playing something at the same time. I've heard stories of uh, kids who have terrible struggles with social anxiety and uh, you know, autism spectrum and so on who are able and enjoying, enjoying all these wonderful social interactions with complete strangers that they would have ordinarily been too shy to approach. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's all in the joy of catching these little creatures. Um, you mentioned gyms, Eric. How did those factor into it? Uh, well, gyms are a mechanic in Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So Eric is, is, is a Pokemon Go virgin. Okay, Matt, yeah, you need to get off my lawn. Explain <laughs> gyms to us. Uh, well, gyms are different areas around the city that are, are more important than other areas because essentially it'll be controlled by one of the three factions I mentioned before. And can you, you can go can and you go in and like take over another faction's oh, gym. Oh, one hundred percent. You can oh my take God. your okay. phone out and essentially you battle the Pokemon there. Or if there's not, if your team's a part of it, you can go and leave Pokemon there or battle to try to become the gym leader. And 
I'm starting yeah. to see this. You're, there's a sense of solidarity with members of your team, mm-hmm. um, and, and that, that sort of arises even if you've never met somebody before. If you're on the same team, well, you've got an interest in sort of taking over territory and stuff. So, I mean, this is based. Uh, I mean, Jonathan, of course, you played, but this is based on geocaching, yeah. right? which has been a, an activity that's been as, around as long as phones have. Right? Mm-hmm. But geocaching never really quite caught on because it didn't have something as iconic as Pokemon that already has. It's built in. The it already has, yeah, it already has so, so, social equity, right? Like everybody knows what Pokemon are. Everybody's already attached to them. Like I'm not going to go look for Robin's egg somewhere, but I'm definitely going to go search for Charizard. It's also yeah. easier than uh, than geocaching in most cases. I think that yeah, also that, that's, that's, that accessibility makes it important too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think tabletop games can learn from the massive success of Pokemon Go? Uh, we should put Pokemon in every game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so the. Um, the the social contract right is that's uh, social contract or what I call the magic circle, which is the you know the agreement that everybody has when they're playing a game that uh, we're going to we're going to role play or to be transported to a different place and everything we do here is only applies to the game and our little fantasy world and is uh, is fine anyway that is yeah the space where we're playing let's pretend yeah right that's we already understand that mm-hmm. the fact that uh, Pokemon Go has this wonderful like. Uh, as a wonderful pattern of anybody can walk in or walk out uh, mm. at the game. So the game itself is living. We've been talking about doing stuff like this in tabletop games for a while, but they're really, really hard to do because they're appointment-based. Right. But you have to arrange to get together. Right. Exactly right. Um, but because there are already, quote-unquote, gyms, uh, like Snakes and Lattes and stuff mm. like that, uh, there are definitely those of us forward-thinking enough that are thinking about that space. And we're definitely going to be trying trying to come up with games, more social games, that follow that pattern. I look forward to seeing them. All right, that's it for this week. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on the show, tweet it to us at SnakesCast or post it on the Snakes and Lattes Facebook page. Maddie, Eric, thanks for joining me. Very well. Pikachu! <laughs> the SnakesCast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. Thanks for listening. Game on. Game on.